Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. When someone quits drinking for good, they usually say something like, it just feels different this time. That's how I felt too this time around. It just felt different for me. So why did it click for me after seven years of drinking, but maybe it took you 20, or maybe it hasn't clicked for you at all yet? So in this episode, you'll learn how alcohol impacts our decision-making process to put us into autopilot, how this continues into early sobriety, and what you can do to get yourself out of autopilot. You'll learn about the different ways the brain makes decisions and how you can start recruiting the parts of the brain that are going to help sobriety finally click for you too. So let's dig in.
so frustrating to go back and forth between drinking and not drinking, especially when you feel like you really want to be sober. Some people can just quit and then live a happy sober life, and for others, it takes years of going back and forth before they can finally stop. So what is going on in the brain to cause these differences? When we have to make a decision, the brain uses changes in our motivational state to adapt our behavior to match our goals, or it just performs a habitual automatic action. Addiction disrupts the way that the brain functions, which then influences our behavior, memory, and emotions. And as addiction develops, we actually move from goal-directed behaviors towards habitual behaviors. And I think this shift is really important. And I think this goes along with what we talked about in episode 115, where the value that we place on alcohol is always changing. Even if sobriety being a good parent or spouse, doing well at your job are all important to you. If you value alcohol more than these things, then it's pretty likely you're going to drink. It's thought that there are two areas of the brain that both have control over our decision making and which choice we ultimately will go with. The dorsolateral striatum and the dorsal medial striatum are both capable of controlling the same action, and they compete for goal-directed or habitual control over that action. So the dorsal medial striatum is the good one, the DMS, which controls goal-directed behaviors. And it's thought that addiction strengthens the DLS habitual process, or it disrupts the DMS goal-directed process or both of those things at the same time. And this would make it easier for the brain to go with the habitual instant gratification response instead of selecting actions that align with our goals and help future us. So it's not important that you remember all of those fancy words, but what I want you to understand is that there are two areas of the brain that can control the same action. And one area uses goal-directed decision-making, and the other one uses habitual automatic decision-making. So they're competing with each other at the same time to control the same action. And what addiction might be doing is strengthening the part of the brain that controls automatic behavior and automatic decision-making and weakening the area of the brain that helps us make decisions based on our goals. So habits and automatic behaviors need to be cued. So there has to be something familiar that is associated with the habit so that the cycle can get started. And the dorsolateral striatum is involved in forming the association between whatever the context is and the automatic behavior that goes with it. In a recent meeting, my members and I were talking about the way that we associate things like smells or music with drinking and bad memories. Many of my members were saying that we struggle with listening to music even many, many months into sobriety. So these associations can be very powerful. And even if they don't lead to relapse, they will probably feel uncomfortable. So the same area of the brain that is influencing automatic decision-making is also the area of the brain that's forming these associations between the cue and the automatic behavior. But we don't just 
have a bunch of habits that form. Most behaviors will actually start out as goal-directed. So you have a drink because you want to unwind after a long day. That's your goal. But eventually, with enough repetition, the behavior transitions into habitual and automatic. So the key difference between goal-directed and habitual behaviors is that goal-directed behaviors are sensitive to the value of the reward, where habitual behaviors are not. We'll talk more about value later, but as you routinely drink one drink to unwind, it will eventually become more drinks. And then just by having more drinks, you're increasing the risk of negative consequences showing up in your life. Take it or leave it drinkers would recognize a negative routine that's forming, and then they would begin to adjust their drinking so they don't have so many hangovers or bad sleep. So that's an example of goal-directed behavior. As the hangovers and consequences start to show up, the value of alcohol decreases for the take-it-or-leave-it drinker. So then, since they value alcohol less, they drink less. But problem drinkers would be more likely to blame themselves for the negative consequences and continue on drinking because they're not understanding that the drinking is actually causing the bad stuff. So if it's not the alcohol then the value of alcohol doesn't decrease, so therefore, why would they need to stop drinking? We think it's our problem, and because of that, we should drink more to deal with all of these problems that we have since drinking helps. So it can even make the value of alcohol increase for us. Studies on people with alcohol addiction have found long-lasting disruptions in the decision-making processes in the brain, which probably end up leading to relapse. So this means that even in sobriety, when staying sober is really important to you, your decision-making process may still be impaired. So if the habitual instant gratification process is strong and the goal-directed process is weak, then it's much easier for your brain to decide that drinking is a good idea and go with that. And add on to this what we talked about in episode 115, how if you have an emotional trigger or stress piles up throughout the day and you don't know how to deal with it, then the value you place on alcohol is going to keep increasing. If you believe that alcohol will help and your decision-making processes are messed up so it's harder for you to make decisions based on your goals, then it's really easy to drink. A 2018 study published in Nature chronically exposed mice to alcohol and then examined the long-term effects on the goal-directed decision-making process in the brain. So this is controlled by a brain circuit where the orbital frontal cortex connects to the dorsal medial striatum. So the orbital frontal cortex is part of our frontal cortex, the rational part of our brain, and this area is involved in controlling impulses and in value-based decision-making. So isn't that interesting? This area of the brain is involved in the decisions that we make based on what we value. So therefore, it should be helping us make decisions based on our goals, not on instant gratification. So what this study found is that chronic ethanol exposure decreased the communication between the orbitofrontal cortex and the dorsal medial striatum. So it's decreasing the ability for the rational thinking part of the brain to say, hey, these are my values, goal-directed area of the brain. 
Now we can make a decision with all this information. So it's weakening the goal-directed process in the brain. And they saw that the mice that were exposed to alcohol were unable to shift from habitual actions to goal-directed actions, and that the goal-directed decision-making process was negatively impacted for about 21 days into abstinence. So we can't ask mice to tell us about their goals. So the way that goal-directed behavior is represented is with outcome devaluation, which we talked about in episode 94. So in this procedure, they add a bitter taste to the alcohol or they give the mice's feet little shocks when they try to get the alcohol. So then the goal becomes don't get the negative consequences. And what researchers observe with mice that are exposed to alcohol is that they continue to go for alcohol despite the repetitive, predictable, negative consequences. And in the same study, they saw that when they increase activity, in the orbitofrontal cortex, they saw that the mice were able to use goal-directed decision-making again. So they were able to see, oh, I am getting a shock literally every time I try to drink this thing that I like. So drinking this thing that I like is losing its value for me. I'm less interested in doing it. And then they were able to change their behavior just because activity was increased in a certain area of the brain. And also, it's really important to say that these mice were only exposed to alcohol for four days, and that was enough to impact their decision-making for three weeks. So imagine what a decade or more of heavy drinking is doing to our brains. For us, the negative consequences aren't just a bitter taste or a foot shock. We have severe negative consequences, but then we still seek out alcohol anyway. And this makes us believe that we're losers. But what I'm understanding from my reading is that it's a combination of having no coping skills and alcohol-induced damage to the brain that lasts long into sobriety. You don't just get sober, go through withdrawal for a week or two, and then everything's fine. It takes time for the brain to heal. And if your decision-making process is messed up, and you don't have any coping skills, then what else are you going to do? It makes it very hard to not go with instant gratification choices. I've also explained in episode 97 that chronic heavy drinking prevents our mind from updating information in our brain. So even though we're aware of the negative consequences and aware that we've tried to control our drinking 5,000 times and have failed 5,000 times, we still think try number 5,001 is going to be different because our brain is using old information to make decisions. Part of outcome devaluation is updating the value of the reward in your brain. If you know every time you drink, you're going to have whatever your personal brand of alcohol-induced misery is, then you update the value of alcohol in your mind. Think of someone that loves ice cream, but they're lactose intolerant. They may keep going for ice cream for a bit because they love it, but after a while, they link feeling sick and miserable directly to ice cream, and ice cream starts to lose its value for them. We aren't doing this with alcohol because we keep believing it's going to be different. We are aware 
of all the negative stuff. It's not that we're ignoring them or we don't think they're that bad, but it's not being fully processed in our brain to update the value that we place on alcohol. Even with all the negative stuff, we persevere and we still think alcohol helps and that it's the solution, even though we have so much proof that it's not. And it's not just alcohol either. Studies have found that chronic ethanol exposure also impacts eating behaviors that are insensitive to outcome devaluation too. So this implies that it's the goal-directed circuit in the brain that's being impacted, not something that's specific for alcohol. When we try to stop drinking, often we'll go back and forth a bunch of times before it finally clicks. And it's frustrating to go back and forth when you feel like you really want to stop. One reason is, like I said, in episodes 91 and 115, you say you want to stop, but really you just want to drink less. Or you don't have any coping skills, so you can't handle stress and discomfort, and you go straight for alcohol to relieve it. But another reason is because our brains aren't making decisions as they normally would. We're basing decisions on outdated information, and our suffering from our drinking isn't making it through to the decision-making areas of the brain. We go into autopilot, and we just drink. A 2022 study published in Alcohol found that the goal-directed process isn't always impacted by chronic ethanol exposure. And if the animal's motivational state is strong enough, then it can recruit goal-directed processes in the brain to make a non-habitual decision. So what this means to me is for problem drinkers, eventually things get so bad that we get shocked out of denial and we stop drinking. Some people like me will just spontaneously stop after years of questioning it or going back and forth. I was a daily drinker and I had several day zeros per week where I'd say I wasn't drinking, but then I drank the same night. And I've heard a lot of people describe that one day it just clicks for them and they stop. So maybe that's what this study is representing, that when your motivation to not suffer anymore is strong enough, it can override any alcohol-induced damage to our decision-making process and allow us to recruit the goal-directed decision-making circuit, even though the habitual automatic decision-making circuit has been strengthened by alcohol. So you can't know how long it's going to take for it to click for you. But there are some things that you can do to accelerate the process and get out of autopilot. You can work on becoming more self-aware. When we're actively drinking, we are usually just dragging through life and we're at the mercy of everyone and everything around us. Everything has the power to upset us. I think of it like a plastic bag that's blowing around on the highway. It might settle down for a bit, and then a car goes by and completely disrupts it, and it goes flying around again. By developing your self-awareness and learning some coping skills, you will be better able to maintain your cool when things happen in life. Coping skills will help you deal with stress in healthy ways so things don't pile up on you all day long. And the more that we can become aware of our drinking, the consequences of our drinking, and learn some tools, the easier it will be to recognize that drinking doesn't help and it's never going to be any different. 
I really hope that you don't drink again. But if you do, instead of beating the crap out of yourself and thinking about how much of a loser you are, get curious about what happened instead. Why did you drink? What got you? Did alcohol actually help? And what can you do next time to actually help yourself? If you can recognize the whole process of drinking, then you'll start to see the negatives that alcohol brings to your life. One reason that we keep drinking is because we blame ourselves for everything bad that's happening. I genuinely believed that I was just a suicidal person and a loser who would never have anything good. And it turns out that's not true. Alcohol was destroying my mental health, making me hate myself, and preventing me from reaching any of my goals, no matter how small they were. When you start to see the truth about your drinking and stop seeing it as something that helps you, then it accelerates the process of sobriety clicking for you. Make sure to check out the recommended episodes in the show notes to learn more on this topic, and I will talk to you next week. Madeline and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety and lots of how-to for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.